the great war is here. This is the Geek Confidential Podcast. How's it going? Pretty good. Miss you last week. Happy to have you back. Can't wait to hear your thoughts on Baywatch. That should be interesting. Also, well, you know, I had to pursue, like, I had to decide between my music career and my football career, and I just couldn't decide. And then there was this murder mystery, and but nobody really cared about my music and football <laughs> career. It was just a whole big thing. And woe is me. Woe is you, but congrats, <laughs> belated congratulations, because the reason you weren't here last week was because of your anniversary, so congratulations on that. From your Instagram, I saw that you had a lot of fun in Nashville, where you yes. were pursuing a music career, potentially. Uh, I was, or a hockey career, for that matter. The, the town is hopping because the Predators are in the Stanley Cup. There you go. Also joining us, we have Mo Walker. Welcome, Mo. I, I'm glad to be here. Looking forward to the discussing everything this last week, but I have to start it off, Mo. We're going to just have to ignore Dan for a second. That's what he gets for being gone last week. The trailer for Game of Thrones. The great ends with him saying the Great War is here, and it opens with Cersei Lannister sitting, like, walking and sitting up to and sitting on the throne as they do all these cut shots of all of our favorite characters. And there's big ass fucking dragons. <laughs> what did you think of the, of the final trailer? Cersei was definitely a boss. I mean, she just sat there like, and what? <laughs> but I do love the dragons. I'm, I'm curious to see uh, if it's going to keep the same sort of pace that it did last season. I don't think it's going to. I read an interview where one of the actors, oh, I think it was an entertainment, I read it in Entertainment Weekly, where they were, um, one of the actors was talking about how the pace is picking up and stuff that would take an entire season is happening mm. in single episodes oh. now. And the rationale behind that apparently is that because so many people have been killed off, all the primary people are left. And so it feels like you're getting more airtime for those individual characters. And since there's so few of them left, it makes everything feel much faster. And then, mm -hmm. of course, the moment that Danny touches shore, everything. I mean, no matter what's going on in Westeros, the moment Danny arrives with her dragons, everything shifts to war. Yeah. So it should be interesting. What what did you like most about the trailer? I have to say I I like the uh Cersei and the Dragons. Cersei and the <laughs> Dragons? Okay. Dan, you went to Baywatch. I have not had a chance to watch it. It to me it looks like it would be totally stupid and yet totally fun. Was it both of those? One of those or what? It was both of those. It was all of all, everything you would expect, but also fun, also comedic, like just a whole lot of jokes, like just fantastic chemistry between The Rock and Zac Efron. Uh, Kelly Rahman was amazing. Alexandra Daddario, she was incredible. Like the whole cast really sold like the conceptualness of like the original series and stuff and i mean the cameos with uh david hasselhoff and pamela anderson were fantastic um uh priyanka chopra from uh quantico she was incredible as a villain i like that like she had such great dialogue great scenes she really commanded the screen really well um the the jokes were all on point. It was just a lot of fun. And yeah, it's going to get critically panned where like right now and the rock went on record being like, all right, so it has 18% on rotten tomatoes. So what, why, why is there, why is that a big deal? Why is there such a disconnect between what critics think and what the public wants in terms of comedy? Like it, doesn't make any sense but 
you know, I guess different strokes for different folks, you know? I think it's at 19% fresh, but 72% of audiences love it. I mean, meanwhile, Johnny Depp is back with Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. I haven't decided if I want to watch that yet. <laughs> I want to. On the other hand, I don't know. But if I had to choose between the two, I'd be going to Baywatch for sure. While you were at Baywatch... Maybe. I'm not sure the exact timing, but this weekend, while you were going to Baywatch, I went to Phoenix Comic Con. Thursday, the day they opened, there was a potential shooter who came in with, like, into the into the convention center, had real rifles, real guns, got, had a lot of weapons on him, and had basically threatened to take out of a lot of police. And so... Apparently, there's an interesting story on it. I, I follow the um, Arizona Central or AZ Central online because it's part of the USA Today family, and they had mm-hmm. an article about it. And apparently, the reason why the he was found so quick was because a woman who had worked with him at a like for on his costume or whatever, and who had mm-hmm. seen him at previous conventions, like he said something to her like he said he wanted to go and like take out cops and she alerted police it says only 11 minutes passed from nicholas contact her contacting oh it looks like the phoenix police uh to the same time that sterling was arrested at the convention center so if you think about the fact that this was someone who is just cognizant of there's something wrong here and reporting it and it only taking them 11 minutes think about all the lives that were saved Mm-hmm. Because you know it wouldn't have just been police, even though those were his targets. It wouldn't have just been police. That's fantastic. In terms of that story as well, I have been fairly informed on this as well because of one of his targets being uh, the former Green Power Ranger, Jason Dude Frank. Yep. Um, I was he's... I was going to ask you about that because that was part of the story as well. He was the other target besides the police. Yes. First of all, as someone who's gone to... A, a few comic cons and anime conventions and such. Um, this is not indicative of cosplayers. This is not indicative of the culture as a whole. Um, and that's one aspect that people really uh, need to be made clear because there's so much social stigma around going to those events anyways, that adding that on top of it, that, Oh, there might be someone who could be potentially violent um really like it it needs to be stated now secondly obviously the the phoenix police department did a fantastic job and this woman coming forward definitely stepped up and saved a lot of lives including jason david franks he seems to be handling the whole situation very well and is playing it down being like i'm so glad no one got hurt um he's he's been an advocate of amping security at conventions for a very long time. But the problem is a lot of these conventions are like finances are not necessarily uh, playing in their favor because of the fact that the actors get to keep all of the profits for like photos, autographs, etc., that kind of thing. So because of all of that, um, it, it, it becomes harder to put money back in the convention owners' pockets, and thus they can't upgrade security to the standards that they need to in order to facilitate the amount of people. Here's the thing, though, and I, Phoenix Comic Con was the, last year was the first time I'd ever been to a Comic Con, yeah. and this is the second year. And last year there was a big hubbub because the event organizers had a problem with their ticketing system and tons of people were locked outside in the boiling heat of Arizona. And they had to then make all kinds of apologies and all kinds of like, we're going to fix this and everything. And the ticketing system this year worked well. My question is this, if you live in a city the size of Phoenix and are hosting a convention the size of the Phoenix uh, Comic-Con. Granted, it's not San Diego. It's not New York. But if you are hosting that, one of two things would be at the top of any list, regardless of expenses. And that would be, and security would be at the top of it. If If you do not have a backup plan, first of all, for 
when an, uh, like this type of thing happens and then you have to scramble and you have to have people waiting in line and then you have to put out statements about like cosplayers not being able to bring weapons, that's poor man planning management. Now, they may have had a plan and then weren't just able to execute it properly, but for the second year in a row, it seems like they don't have backup plans. Not saying that they don't. I'm just saying from the public's perspective, when you read the headlines, it doesn't seem like it. The second thing is, if I were managing a big old convention like this, I would be thinking about doing what San Diego does. Last year, I was reading an article about how San Diego has a specific line for any cosplay players who have to go through security, and they have hired security professionals who basically go through, and if you're going to cosplay, you have to go through and have your weapons inspected. Now, granted, a lot of these are cardboard, plastic, whatever the case may be, but I don't understand why in today's environment you would not have a specific cosplay line for people to get in. And I realize that that could be for anybody in a spandex Deadpool outfit who has two um, weapons on their back, even if it's just the hilts. If they, have, if, if they are coming to, the, uh, to a convention to cosplay, and we all are glad that they are because it's so awesome to see them express their talent and their art through cosplay... But if you're going to do that, you have to expect that there's going to be some requirements. And But at the same time, you should be able to expect that a convention has a plan for making it safe for them to be able to bring those weapons into an environment. On Saturday, which was the busiest day, on the opening floor, they had one person trying to watch as thousands of people were going down the escalators to make sure that they had their badges. The way the convention center works is that there's two going down, two going up, and so you really need two people to be able to do both lines because when you're having thousands upon thousands of people coming in for through the main entrances and trying to go down those escalators or up the escalators, and that person was just, like, overworked. I mean, the, the staffing of the convention did not seem to to reflect the volume of people. And here's the thing. They charge $55 for a one-day ticket to the convention center. Yes. That's that's like that's for Saturday alone. And I don't have a problem paying $55 for the convention center, but you cannot tell me that if they charged $65 and said this is the security fee of $10 to pay for additional security so that people could cosplay, I would be more than happy to say, I'm gonna pay $65 for my ticket to make sure that the extra security costs are covered. And then yes. you don't have to worry about, and then they can go, and then all the cosplayers, anybody with a type of weapon can go through and have that screened. Because here's the other stupid thing about it. They didn't have any, they didn't have anything in place or a backup plan for, for the, the booths who were selling weapons to yes. be able to have the people who purchased those weapons be able to carry them around. They were telling people to wrap them in garbage bags yeah. after they were yeah. purchased and having them sealed. How long has Phoenix Con been going, uh, been running? Because I've been to like Heroes Con, which is in Char held in Charlotte, and they do have a specific line for cosplayers to check weapons at the um, uh, as individuals enter, and if I remember correctly, I believe Baltimore Comic Con does as well. I've been there. It a number started of time. in two thousand two. It's two, fifteen okay. years old. They shouldn't yeah. have. Ex they should not have excuses for low security staffing and ticketing problems, which are what's happened the last two years. Listen, they put on a great event. They like this year. They expanded the number of um, artists and booths that you can visit they have a fun heroes column they have lots of panels they're bringing in all these people for the panels it's awesome they put on a good show but the thing is is that all of that is once you get inside uh, but the first impression of a comic-con when you're getting there is the lines you wait in the tickets you have uh, like the ticketing process and security because the line leads to the security who's doing the check you would think yeah. that the, fir the first three things that are your first impressions of a convention would be the things that are most important. 
And it just didn't, it doesn't seem that way. One of the things that many conventions struggle with is, so a a lot of the staffing, um, at least from, I I know the Wizard World circuit, uh, comes from volunteers. A lot of not the case for Phoenix Con this year because there was a whole hassle about that. Yeah. Okay. They were they were going to, like they were volunteers last year, which was part of the ticketing thing, which they tried mm-hmm. to make changes, and I don't have the details in front of me, but basically what happened is they said they were going to switch it, and you had to be part of like this blue written blue ribbon type of, like membership thing where you pay twenty bucks or whatever it is to be like some. I don't remember the name of the group, but it was basically where people who were going to have to pay to be volunteers, which came off really bad. So they scrapped that. They scrapped that <laughs> and then just went yeah. to they just went to it being paid um, people who work it. So I get that if they're paying people to work it, that that's going to increase the cost of the Comic-Con but security is not something that you mess with, especially in when you look at the fact that we had the Man- uh, Manchester bombing this last week. I had a friend who wasn't happy about the uh, the cosplay weapon rule, and I can see what they're saying in terms of like it really sucks for a kid who's going there. He might be dressed up in his like his favorite outfit. I mean, I've seen I've seen Comic Con photos of these little kids wearing um, Negan outfits and carrying a baseball bat you know and i'm and i'm not saying that that's the type of weapon that's being banned but what i'm doing is i'm using that as an example of if you have this kid that's like under 12 who is has like their costume and their weapons it sort of like sucks to have to then tell that kid no you can't use it at the same time the short notice stuff made some people very inventive and i'm going to get to this a little bit later but one of the people who i met at the comic-con was uh, Nevermore from the AIE Guild in World of Warcraft, of which I am a member. And they um, had a booth there for some of the products that they were selling, not the guild, but their, their personal artistic crafts. And she had tweeted out a photo of a, um arrow cosplayer who had put like these cardboard arrows, like the heads of the arrows in the back of his quiver. And then for his bow, he had got a fluorescent green christmas bow and put it on his hand so when he's posing you see the bow and arrows in the photo and so little clever things were done like that but there's no excuse for having a like not having a backup pol- a contingent policy in place that is then having people put weapons that they're buying from retailers in garbage bags there's no I- excuse for not having i mean this is phoenix arizona the convention center ha- has tens of thousands of people going through it over the course of it there's no excuse for not having a a a cosplay weapons check line there's just no excuse i agree but no i I totally agree but there were there was some great cosplay that are that still made it through i put a bunch of them on my instagram so if you um like instagram or on instagram my you can follow me at i concur which is i-c-o-n-k-e-r-r and there they were really cool i was very happy because there were some just great ones there there was there were star wars i didn't see very many star trek um the, the doctor who's were fun deadpool as always were everywhere and th- like some of them were even had brought their own like boombox to play music as they were going i think that boombox got confiscated because it goes against policy or something but it but waiting in line they were having fun there were some great wonder woman cosplay the thing that really stuck out for me um having last year with last year being my first co- uh, comic con was that last year overwatch had not had just come out like was i think less less than a month old maybe Mm-hmm. Um, and there was almost no Overwatch stuff anywhere. This year, Overwatch is everywhere. Literally, some of the best cosplay that I saw the on the floor was Overwatch cosplay. There was a Junkrat that was amazing. There were there were some really good divas. There were, I mean, you just go down the list. They had everybody from May to uh, there was this little girl who had like she had a little um, ballerina. Um, 
tutu on and she had mercy wings it was so adorable i mean considering the success that overwatch has been i mean one game of the year it has there it's up to 30 million active players on it in one year which is just impressive it was so fantastic to see that and as a blizzard fan play i don't play a lot of games but i play world of warcraft and i play overwatch and i play a little bit of heroes of the storm so for me it's always great to see the games that i play being well represented have to say did not see really any world of warcraft cosplay but overwatch totally made up for it which i also want to give a shout out to the members of aie um, i stopped by their booth it was nice to meet nevermore ben the mage and the rest of them they were fantastic before we wrap up the comic-con discussion mo do you have any plans to go to any comic cons this summer i definitely plan on hitting baltimore comic-con mm -hmm. unfortunately i can't make it to heroes con which is in a few weeks, or Awesome Con, which they both are on the same weekend in June. But I'm definitely going to Baltimore, and I plan on going to the uh, the NC Comic Con, which is also held in North Carolina, uh, in the Chapel Hill area, which will be in November as well. Oh, nice. For those who may listen to Daytime Confidential, I haven't talked to Mike about this yet, but Mike lives in Boston. And I'm thinking 2018, I might hit the Boston Con and visit Mike at the same time. He doesn't know this yet, so I'll have to inform them <laughs> about that before this podcast airs. Uh, Dan, are you are you a Comic-Con person? I am a Comic-Con person. Um, I've and gone do you go to... as Power Rangers? Please tell me you go as Power Rangers because I need to see the photos if you have. <laughs> Normally, I, I've been like going as press. Uh, uh just that doesn't covering... mean you, that doesn't mean you can't cosplay i'm just saying i like typically when i when i'd gone to conventions and stuff i'd been covering them but um yeah no i've done anime central i've done anime midwest i've done chicago comic-con which is a wizard world um i've done uh Power Morphicon in Pasadena, California. Highly recommend that one. That one's the premier Power Rangers convention. It happens every other year. Uh, 2018's next year, so that should be pretty cool. I would highly encourage people to check out Ranger Stop, which happens every year in Orlando. It's a big convention that happens. It, that one's the East Coast. Uh, Power Morphicon's the West Coast. Um, what other ones have I done? I think that's it. Oh, that's weird. Uh, I thought I did more. Um, but yeah, no, I highly encourage people to go check out and, you know, see in their area, the local comic con supporting the local comic shops and just keeping the keeping the geek alive. And I'm also looking forward to it because in November I'm going to BlizzCon, which is Blizzard's uh, convention for World of Warcraft, Overwatch, Hearthstone, Diablo, Starcraft, all of those. And Wolf, and Wolf Blitzer. And Wolf Blitzer. I was like, Dan, I'm surprised you haven't gone to any sort of international Power Rangers Comic Con. Uh, any, any sort of inter, uh, international Power Rangers Con. Well, I mean, with uh, Power Morphicon being on the West Coast, a lot of actors, stunt actors, um, and of that sort go to Pasadena. They fly them out there and put them up in hotels and stuff, and they participate in the convention. There's photo shoots, there's panels, there's all sorts of fun stuff. Uh, they, like, there's a big corporate breakfast that I was uh, able to attend by the people who made Power Rangers. Mm. Uh, I met the cast at the time with, of uh, Power Rangers Super Megaforce. That was pretty cool. Um took photos with them, had breakfast with them. Uh, yeah, no, it, it, it's a good time. It, and it's a well-run convention mm. um, that's entire all of the proceeds for it go to the Make-A-Wish Foundation. <laughs> so it's also for a good cause. Dan. Yeah. I have to ask you. Yeah. Did you watch Stephen Amell on American Ninja Warrior Celebrity Edition because from oh, what I understand so from what I understand he killed it. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. And every once in a while, like he would do all of the things and the announcers would be freaking out and his wife would be freaking out and the crowd would be freaking out. But he would just like look at the crowd and be like, Hi guys 
That's because he probably has to do all of this stuff on a daily basis for his job. Because, I mean, you look at the stuff that they've had him do that yeah. you cannot do with stunt doubles. Yeah. No, it's it's incredible. At one point, one of the, the tasks is, like, the ladder, where, like, he has to jump the bar each time. And I'm just looking at th- this and being like, he does this, like, twice a season. Guys, we watch him do this twice a season, and you're having him do this over a pool and expect us to be impressed. I mean, come on. Uh, But, yeah, no, it was fantastic. He was great. I loved the very end when he was like, I don't have the momentum to keep going, so we're just going to end it here. Bye, guys, and then jumps in the pool. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Great. Now, I haven't caught I haven't caught up on the Arrow season finale. Yeah. And based on Dan's tweets, I might like it, or I because this is something that's going on with Felicity. I promise Ugh, I'll have watched it by next gross. week's podcast because we're doing our best and worst of the 2016 slash 17 season TV season uh, podcast next week. Uh, Dan, what is it that I was going to love about Elicity? Well, so, like, they do share a quote-unquote kiss, but it's so forced, it's so, like, inappropriate. I do not believe you. I do not believe you. It is so inappropriate in the scene because there's so, like, the, the stakes are stupid high. There's, like, people are returning left and Pause right. Pause for a second. How many movies and television shows have you seen where the stakes are so high, things are happening so fast, that the hero and the woman he loves pauses for a second and their lips meet before he rushes off to save the world. You're, you're you are telling me that that is... With, with the way the scene is written and the direction given, like, literally... Okay, so uh, Oliver and Slade Wilson free, like, they free Felicity, they free Samantha, they free Thea, and then they free, um... Oh, uh... Um, Mr. Miracle. Mr. Terrific. Yeah. Mr. Terrific. Uh, they free Curtis. Um, and they're all in these cages. And then everyone's freaking out because it's Slade Wilson. And Thea pulls him aside in the middle of this high-stakes situation where, like, um, Malcolm and Nyssa walk up and they're like, we need to keep moving. We need to, like, get this done. And Thea wants to take a pause to pull him aside being like, what the heck? This is Slade Wilson. And then as soon as Oliver and Thea walk back to the group, Felicity and him have like this weird moment while while everyone's being rushed, being like, OK, we need to keep moving because with the way the scene is shot, um, Talia threw down a smoke bomb and her and Digger Harkness, a.k.a. Captain Boomerang, disappeared and left Artemis just kind of fending for herself and they put her in a cage. The direction but, of the Mo, scene was. You said very... you said you called foul. Rebut this nonsense. I mean, again, I can. How many different shows have you watched, as Luke pointed out, that do the exact same thing? I mean, Flash, they do the exact same thing. I mean, how many times have you seen Flash? It's so, because so it's... it's because he has an anti-elicity bias. Okay, I'm just saying. I preferred him. With literally anyone else this season, because the last season ruined the two as a couple, I'm just saying. So, like, all of the returns in Arrow, fantastic, great, loved having Slade back. Slade is back to being, like, an enjoyable character, it's fantastic. But the biggest thing that I took away from this, even beyond, like, the fact that the whole cast might be dead, they killed John Barrowman, they killed Malcolm Merlin. You did not actually see a body. And again, you, that's true. You were so much so one on one. If you if there's no body, <laughs> it may still be alive. And then it there's may. this and then there's this little thing called Legends of Tomorrow where we have someone who's died in the past and still on the show. That's true. That's true. But I mean, to be fair, John Barrowman's going to all the conventions being like, I'm not coming back. Da, 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 da. 
what and who did a, a press tour for Game of Thrones saying I'm really dead? Oh, that's a good point, Jon Snow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna guess. I know nothing, Dan Pierce. Uh huh. The person who <laughs> refuses to watch Game of Thrones, only the best TV show on television. It's not a refusal. It's just like I'll, I'll wait until it's over and more convenient to. At, at which point, we are then going to be get months of all caps texts from Dan admitting that he was wrong for not watching soon enough, Mo. That is what's going to happen. <laughs> Actually, you converted Jamie to Game of Thrones. I mean, yeah, that's true. I still haven't got him to. I still haven't convinced him to watch uh, Battlestar Galactica, which he really should. But I haven't. Um, Mo, I was all up in my feelings about Supergirl this last week because, first of all, Callista Flockhart was back. She was amazing. She had quote after quote after quote. Cat <laughs> Grant is my everything. And then, so I had good feelings there, and then I had terrible feelings, because at the beginning of the episode, I said to myself, Terry Hatcher's character had better not die. Terry ha- Hatcher's character better not die. Sure enough, she died at the end of the episode. Great villain for that um, second half of the season. I really loved her in the sh- uh, on the show. She brought flair. Every time I looked at her, I'm like, this is what happens when Lois Lane goes evil. Um, <laughs> what, what did you think of the season finale of Supergirl, Mo? That season finale was really packed. I, I you know, honestly, I had a feeling that uh, Rhea, Terry Hatcher's character, was going to die. I mean, remember, they killed off Supergirl's aunt last season. So they have, you know, the villains, the main villains keep dying. So I figured that that was coming. I honestly, I was all about my cat. My cat was my everything. I wish, though, that we could have had a little Linda Carter as the president come back all this week. But from start to finish, Supergirl was jammed. Pat. It even had time to even go into the whole Miss Martian, um, Martian Manhunter romantic subplot, which I, I mean, I could have taken Jeez. a leaving that the way they the way they handled it. It was just like literally John was asleep and then he woke back and then he woke back up because of Miss um, Martian. I was like wondering for a moment was um, this once upon a time because I mean, was this true love's kiss <laughs> bringing John Jones back from his coma? Yeah. Dan, what'd you think? It was busy. It was a very busy finale. Uh, Keck Grant needs to be on my show all the time for every situation. Mm -hmm. I like, she is what the show has been missing all season long. And we've been saying it preach, but (laughs) it, it never became more apparent than when she came back and she's offering commentary for the entire season, literally telling the feelings of every fan watching, being like, just like, oh, what's Jimmy doing? What is Jimmy doing? Uh, you know, gallivanting <laughs> around. We could see the slit in your eyes. You, not we, wait, 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 wait. You are not doing that justice, Dan. My friend, you, if you are going to, like, paraphrase that one, you have to do it right. In which the Guardian bursts into, cat, like, the Cat Grant big offices to save her from the invaders. He saves her, which still is a giant eye roll. But she goes, thank you, James. And he goes, I'm not James. I'm the Guardian. She goes, oh, honey. I can see your eyes. <laughs> and then she just makes a hand motion and walks off, which leads me to the most important question of the podcast. If she can recognize James by his eyes, does she or does she not know who Supergirl's real identity? Mo, what do you think? Oh no, she knows. She literally she said it. She let it. She said it at the end of the episode. Of the oh, did, finale. My, said, my 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 episodes cut off like in the last couple minutes sometimes, so maybe I missed that. No, Go ahead. No. Yeah, yeah. She literally said, "Because um, Kara Rant dashed off to save someone, and she says, Go get him, Supergirl.' So yeah. she definitely knows. I mean, I figured she's known since." 
the end of the first season. I think it really became apparent then, but it it's definitely been solidified now. I mean, plus I wouldn't be surprised if she's figured out that Clark Kent is Superman. Oh, yeah. and she is so thirsty for Clark Kent. So <laughs> thirsty. Here's the thing. Every time Clark Kent comes in, it makes me really want a Superman show on in the Belantiverse as well. The problem is, is that the CW is just basically becoming the Belantiverse. I mean, we're going to get to the Black Lightning trailer in a bit, but you have Supergirl, Arrow, The Flash, Legends of Tomorrow. We have Black Lightning coming up, which is not going to be in the Arrowverse, which is separate. So to just just differentiate from what I call the Berlantiverse, if they did if they did a Superman show, I would need Cat Grant to be like to show up and face off with his boss. Well, they could do a Superman show on the W on Warner Brothers slash DC uh, entertainments coming up with a streaming platform. So that could be an option for one Avenue for a Superman show. I know that they're, they're going to do Berlanti supposed to be uh, producing a Titan show. And if they're bringing back young justice on the streaming platform. So this, could potentially be one vehicle for a Superman Berlantiverse style show. Not only that, but there's also a uh, like a prequel type show uh, going on sci-fi uh, focusing on Krypton. Yes. And the other yeah. thing is with which was a sad moment for me, but I'm sure the Monel haters loved it. Monel yes. Monel taking off. Yes. There is. Yes. There is totally the possibility of a legion of superheroes tv sh- series you can totally see where they could set that up in the berlanti verse very very easily well they've already been laying the groundwork exactly. for that exactly because... they... yep go ahead oh, i was going to say because they have a legion flight ring in the fortress of solitude they've showed it in the first season superman is a member of the legion supergirl is also a member of the legion as well um and Manel was was a mem- is was a member of the Legion as well. It's only a matter of time before they bring in the Legion, especially if they've already brought in Brainy uh, a descendant of Brainiac, uh, because Brainiac a des- one of Brainiac uh, descendant Brainiac Five is also a member of the Legion. They've been laying the groundwork for this. So here's yeah. the other thing that stirred up some controversy on about the finale. What did you guys think of Supergirl beating Superman? Supergirl protects a city. Superman protects a planet. What did you guys think of how that was depicted? Mo, I know you're a big comic person. Did it ring true for you? Yeah, I didn't have a problem with that at all. And because there have been, in the comics, they've established at certain points in the continuity that Supergirl is more powerful than Superman. Okay. Um, I And again, I don't have a problem with that. I mean... Think about it. he was it was mind he was being mind controlled so maybe his reaction time was slower. There are all kinds of rationale for it, but of course it could also be just simply put that Kara is more powerful than Superman. I mean, it is what it is. Okay, Dan, did you see any of that hubbub on social media? I didn't really see any of the the hubbub for it. I just thought it was like this really cool thing that happened. I I mean there was well-timed CGI moments mixed in with the, like the practical stuff. And I just thought it was a really cool fight. Um, I know that there's, they've been hammering a lot of like the sociopolitical aspects to Supergirl (laughs) that within the last like four episodes or so, just throwing that one out there. And I know that that's probably part of it, why they wanted to focus on that and why it, it like, because, I mean, Wynn had that moment with Superman being like, why isn't it Superman fighting? And then they were like, because Supergirl beats Superman. <laughs> uh, so she's Earth's champion. Duh. Um, but yeah, no, I I didn't have any issues with it. It, it just was a cool fight. And I, I, you know, I'm really interested to see if they, how much they go back to uh, Zod next season. With them teasing it like they did. Okay. How bad did Barry screw things up 
this season. <laughs> <laughs> I'll admit, oh. I have I haven't watched the season finale of that. I had some stuff come up with my grandma that took up a lot of my week, um, so I'm going to be catching up over this next week before next week's episode. But I can't imagine that a season finale of The Flash would pass without Barry screwing up the timeline somehow. Dan, how on target am I? You're a little, uh, a little off, but not by much. So basically, like it, it was kind of a team effort where like everyone kind of banded together, and the whole Iris death thing. That doesn't occur. You knew, they are not going... Listen, they are not going to f- kill off their female lead. No, they just decide to kill another Wells. Like, they... But there's so, so it, many of them. Yeah, exactly. So HR dying doesn't really hold a lot of water. Plus, HR having to impersonate Iris also doesn't hold, like, a whole lot of water. And the fact that past Barry dies because Iris puts a bullet in him also is just kind of like, really? You know, in the world of the fantastical where we've got like Gypsy and Vibe teaming up with the Speedsters, teaming up with um, Killer Frost, like all of these people all coming together, they created a skeleton key to get Jay Garrick out of the Speed Force. And... They kill um, Savitar by putting a bullet in him with a gun. Re- what? What? I thought it was kind of poetic that she- Iris was the one to put Savitar down, finally. Yes, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. But it's still kind of like, really? But, but didn't they allude to that the entire season when they were running through the scenarios and talk about the snipers on the... On, I, I haven't obviously watched the finale, but I know throughout the entire season they were talking about snipers and various other... I mean, when you look at the flashbacks or the flash forwards that they had, it sort of doesn't surprise me that they had someone take him out with a bullet. Well, well, considering, I mean, by the time that Iris takes Avatar out. I mean, it really was, as Dan said, it really was a team effort. I mean, they, this fight drags out two thirds of the episode, which is what a supervillain superhero fight should be when it's a season finale. I, I like the fact that they used a HR impersonated Iris and then subsequently died. It was better than any of the scenarios I was thinking about in terms of how are they going to get out or undo the iris death because in the comics if you're familiar with the flash from the comics they do some all kind of crazy time travel stuff when they kill iris off the first time so i was i was praying that they weren't going there because you know barry and time travel you know we've we've got too much of that already yes yes (laughs) i mean he needs a 12-step program for the time travel yeah and and it, it's gonna be worse because his mom showing up as the speed for well first of all the lightning storm at the beginning I thought I was like are they going to do what DC Rebirth did and there's just gonna be a bunch of speedsters in uh, Central City because I'd be cool with that that would be an awesome storyline mm, mm-hmm. that was such a great thing in DC Rebirth I was so down with that but they did I, it looks like they're going the Infinite Crisis angle. And I don't know, I don't necessarily trust them with pulling things off super well because they also have to balance this giant multiverse of shows that they have to do. Meanwhile, Legends just folded time in on itself. So there's that. Well, and uh, I think that's and that's a perfect setup to a segue because Black Lightning is not going to be in the Arrowverse. And one of the reasons why they said that was because... Uh, everybody would be expecting it to be involved in the crossover and the logistics of that when it doesn't film in the same location is just too much. Mo, what did you think of the Black Lightning trailer? Oh, I really enjoyed it. I've been a fan of Black Lightning for decades. So I'm really interested in seeing where this um, this show goes. 
I think a lot of the issues that were raised and alluded to, um, the social political issues that were uh, raised in the trailer, I think would make for a really compelling television show. And again, you know, he's um, one of the core aspects of the character is is that he's he's balancing being a superhero and a father. Yes, um, which is which I think will be really interesting and really different than what some of the other shows are doing because when in the Flash, Oliver is not he has a child but he's not parenting that child, you know. Uh, but it is too bad that it's not going to be in the Ber- Berlantiverse or in on the same Earth as as Flash and Arrow because I'd love for a Joe West, um, Jefferson Pierce. Uh, kind of powwow i mean i think they'd be great bros just talking about being fathers and and dealing with all the super crazy stuff dan before i get your opinion um talking talking about the flash earlier made me remember something from phoenix comic-con there was a girl who had a jesse quick costume that was Mm. nearly identical and she looked like jesse quick uh, or Mm. the the actress it was like 99 percent perfect um unfortunately she was walking by with a group of friends and chatting away so it's like i'm not going to stop you and like get a photo but (laughs) she was there she was there and it was really well done dan what did you think of the black lightning trailer i absolutely loved it i i know virtually little to nothing about black lightning um so it like this is kind of one of those informative experiences for me that like a lot of these DC shows have had where like, I didn't know anything about the green arrow. I didn't know anything about the flash, like legends, all of these different shows continue to teach me a lot about the comic verse and how DC, um, how, how many different angles they, they can pull off in terms of being a DC superhero where like, like Mo said, uh, Jefferson Pierce is balancing being a father with being a hero. He's balancing like the idea of retirement versus the idea of retirement on it, on the impact it has on the community. Uh, just various things like that. I thought that was fantastic. Um, I'm really interested to see because there is like for the uh, daytime confidential fans out there, we're going to have this like so far so good. Let's see if Nefessa Williams learned how to act from her days uh, on One Life to Live. Because I remember uh, Daytime Confidential giving her a a little bit of a hard time back in the day. But to be fair, they didn't write her character very well either. So I'm really excited. I'm really interested to see. I don't necessarily believe Greg Berlanti when he's saying that these shows are never going to cross over. Because once you've built the multi-Earth stuff. There's the multi-Earth and there's Legends. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, I don't necessarily. All that has to happen is legend shows up in the spaceship. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Oh, we got a younger version of Black Lightning. Maybe later we run into the old like because of how like further down the line Black Lightning already is. We can always do a younger version, older version. Like this is the same thing they set up with Vixen. It it's pretty similar. Where like. Vixen's part of a lineage. This is like, okay, he was a younger superhero. Now he's an older superhero. It's the same principle. Here's the thing, though. And if I'm going to be harsh on Arrow, I have to be fair. Yeah. I do not want to see five years of flashbacks to young Black Lightning. No. No, not... Yeah, it, that that part is the part that like I'm super uh, skeptical about. Where I'm like, I don't I don't really need flashbacks t- to his heyday. Just tell me he has a heyday, and I'm good. I'm all right. You don't have to tell me anything else. Okay. Fine. <laughs> I was Mo- gonna say. Well, oh, I was gonna say we we don't we need five years of Black Lightning as some sort of wig running around. <laughs> I will say it was a a good uh, time for DC fans because just as Black Lightning was coming around, so did uh, Injustice 2. Mo- that looked oh, look so good. Oh, I'm just saying, like, as a game, as a story with the corresponding comics and stuff, it's just incredible. The first one was fantastic, and I'm excited to see the second one. Mo. Gotham has not wrapped its season yet, but I'm under. I understand it's had a pretty good season. What did you think of the latest episode? 
Well, I think at this point they're they're still moving all the pieces in in the place, which I don't know. I mean, the season as a whole, it's it's oh it's been okay. There've been some good moments, but I think structurally they could have kind of moved things along a bit. But you're right. This 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 last episode there were some great confrontations between uh, James Gordon and his former uh, boss Captain Barnes. There's all this crazy Court of Owls stuff going on. Bruce Wayne is finally learning how to fight. Um, though, ironically, the individual who's teaching him possibly is Raz al Ghul, whose daughter has appeared in the latest episode of Arrow. So it, it, there's a lot of moving around. They're setting up for the season finale, which is coming in a couple weeks. Hopefully, hopefully they'll stick the landing. What are you thinking of American Gods? aesthetically it's gorgeous i mean it's like looking at some sort of vivid colorful it's just eye-poppingly amazing visually i think the story could move could be could move along a little bit faster i at the beginning of each episode there's about uh, roughly five or ten minutes devoted to explaining how a particular old god arrived in America. Quite frankly, I think that they need to shorten those kind of need to shorten those intros and kind of get to the meat of the story. Okay, I like the interactions between Shadow and Mr. Wednesday. I think both actors play off of each other very well. I will say it is a very bloody show. There's some crazy sex in that show. So, you know, if you don't like a little kink and a little freak, this is not the show for you. But I think I think it's building momentum as it goes along. The other show I wanted to ask you about was Orphan Black. They released the trailer for the upcoming final season. Whoa, it looks intense. What are you looking forward to most, Mo? I'm looking forward to... <laughs> them surviving at this point. I mean, touche. I, I really want the sisters, the sestras, as they like to call themselves, to survive. But I got a feeling someone's going to die. If Mrs. M dies, I can live with that because, quite frankly, she's been getting on my nerves these last few seasons. Um, hopefully. The, cons- the whole clone conspiracy just doesn't fall apart at the end. I think they they really turned the ship around in the fourth season because it, once when they introduced those male clones, it just it, it just kind of went downhill. But I think they, they made a course correction last season. Hopefully, these final episodes they'll they'll stick the landing. Um, but I will miss Tatiana Maslany you know, coming up with all the different outfits and. You know, playing like at times five characters at once, which I've just been in love with. So hopefully the the show will live up to fans' expectations. Here's my question: Do you want Rachel to go out evil or redeemed? I'm perfectly fine with her going out evil, to be perfectly honest. Uh, you know, I <laughs> I I thought did think like last season, you know. It, it took her too long to get out of that wheelchair that she was stuck in. And, of course, you know, when she got stabbed in the eye with that pencil, oh, God, that was so gross. But, no, I, I, I think Rachel should be, if she's not the big bad, I think that she should be at least one of the main villains that they have to defeat before um, they deal with the big bad. Well, I want to wrap this episode up um, talking a little bit about the Vanity Fair photo shoot, Star Wars photo shoot, in which we got to see Carrie Fisher with her real life daughter in Leia, like in Leia costumes. It was so heartbreaking and touching. Dan, what did you think of the photos? Because these were taken before she passed, obviously, and there's just so many meaningful moments caught in the photos you don't expect it to hold that much meaning maybe necessarily when they're taken, but then because of her passing, they're made even more meaningful. What did you think? I, I feel as though that um, these photos capture a lot of 
what these actors and these characters and these stories have done for us as a society over the course of generations and stuff like that, where they've, they've been there, they've been able to tell this extended story over the course of years. And you don't think about what type of impact they've had on different generations and stuff like that. Um, you know, you you have so many different age groups uh, coming forward talking about how Carrie Fisher moved them, how Carrie Fisher, uh, you know, inspired them, how Princess Leia inspired them as like just people, uh, you know, fighting for whatever causes they find to be the most passionate about, um, and always always doing it with a little extra kick because that was, you know, that was Leia, that was Carrie Fisher. I seeing her and Mark Hamill in photos together, it just it brings all of those same emotions that we all felt uh during the initial passing of her uh kind of to the forefront and it's just it's it it, it it's a lot. It's a lot to handle. Mo, what did you think? Again, I agree with Dan. They were very moving photos, especially the Carrie Fisher, Mark Hamill one. I mean, and, and this being the 40th anniversary of Star Wars, as someone who grew up, you know, watching Star Wars, playing with the action figures, you know, going with the, you know, even when the franchise was, shall we say, in more of a downward project uh, trajectory, to know that that Star Wars can still move me. You know, after all these years, is wonderful, and I'm really sad that Carrie Fisher is is not here to revel in the joy of the 40th anniversary of this franchise that you know that she helped make, and that you know that generations of people will continue to watch these films and look up to her, as Dan said, you know, for for decades um, from now. As someone who's had to deal with Luke, I am your father for as long as I have been alive because I only turned 38 this year. Star Wars is one of those franchises that is always a little bit bittersweet for me. And so when I saw the photos, I was like, these are, I thought to myself, these are amazing photos for what they mean today. But then you have to think about the impact that Star Wars has had on pop culture, on film and cinema before Star Wars, can you think of anything other than the giant period pieces like Ben-Hur and Cleopatra that really brought the scale? I mean, this this film revolutionized how we look at the blockbuster and look at everything that has come since, the from the animation to the stop animation with or the pup with the puppets and to the costuming and the fact that they're un they they embraced and are and were unafraid to tell unconventional stories and then to have those photos between the new ones and then the original cast come cast members it was it was very powerful and of course vanity fair with their photos they always i mean their photo shoots are always amazing um i thought it was really well done uh dan any final thoughts as we wrap this up Sometimes a show needs to reevaluate its creative decisions before they decide to bring it back after five years. I'm looking at you, Prison Break. Um, like I, I appreciate a lot of the character moments they're doing. However, some of the creative decisions have me scratching my head. Mo, yes. any final thoughts? Yeah, just. You know, it's that time of the year. Catch up on your shows if you've if you've been behind. I'm certainly using this time to catch up on some stuff on Netflix and some other streaming services. Um, we have to hurry up because Dark Matter and Killjoys are coming, and I think Winona Earp. Yes, I, I need to get caught up on Winona Earp. I'm ready to go on Dark Matter and uh, Killjoys. Okay, well, we thank you for listening. As always, you can follow, uh, find us on Twitter, twitter.com slash gkconfidential. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash gkconfidential. You can find me at Luke underscore Kerr. Dan is at Real Dan Pierce. Yes. And Mo, it's Dr. Mo 77. Correct. Woohoo!
We thank you for listening. Until next time, so long. T-Bag. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Oh, my dad. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs>